0: actually digging into this series. Brennan's done a tremendous job in the first two messages about church rewired. It's not re-figuring out church in itself, but it's untangling the mess of some things that uh, we hear a lot in church. And, you know, in moments when it doesn't, where there's these tense moments, we tend to dig for things to say. And that's generally when we get ourselves in a little trouble. Like, have you ever been in a moment where you've got like uh, a, a big job interview, or you're going to the dentist, and, and then someone says to you, don't worry. <laughs> like, like, what's that supposed to do for you? Like, you don't go, oh, wow, I never thought of that, you know? <laughs> don't be afraid. It's like, oh, really? But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that the sayings that we're, we're talking about have a space for truth. They represent a truth, and when Jesus fills that space, they become living truth. Because Jesus can say to you, don't worry, and you don't. Right? It's when his presence comes and you go, "Oh, and all of a sudden there's a there's a grace and there's some amazing things that happen when we have an encounter with the person of truth." But we live in this zone where there's something wrong with everything. Right? On the planet, it, it's, it's falling apart, and it, I'm falling apart. I look in the mirror, and I go, oh, it's continuing to happen. You know, I don't have any more hair necessarily to lose, but gravity is winning. I'm seeing like everything's falling to the ground, you know, and you, you walk on the planet, and you realize there's just a lot of things wrong, and there's something wrong with everything. And yet here we are in church where we, we serve a perfect God and we have a perfect book, and we hear about the perfect, yet we live in an imperfect world. Is this not true? And we're trying to make sense of that. It's like, well, we've got a perfect God, and, 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 and we've got a perfect book, and we've got a perfect savior. I know I'm not perfect, but somehow they're supposed to intersect, and when the world is crumbling, usually you have someone who will say to you, God is on the throne. Don't worry. God is on the throne. Which, is that true or not true? It's true. It's very true, isn't it? But that's not what we're asking in a moment when we're falling apart, where our world is crumbling. We're not asking, where is, where is God on the throne? We're saying, where's God now? In the here and now. Why isn't the perfect one working perfectly in my world right now? You don't care if he's up there. You want him down here, Right? Where are you, God? And this is especially true when what we're picturing in our mind, what we're expecting in life, isn't happening. So I don't know what I was thinking uh, when I went to do my first church plant, which is in River Falls, Wisconsin. And this is back in the uh, mid-'80s, uh, which dates me. And uh, I thought, you know, what a great opportunity as a church planner to work on the college campus, because I had been a head resident at different colleges, and so what that means is you're in charge of a dormitory, which basically means you're the zookeeper. (laughs) And I had no idea, when we went to River Falls to plant the church, we're getting to know the people in the community, and eventually, you know, it's a small town, less than 10,000 people, they'd say, what are you doing in town? I would say, well, two things. I'm working up at the campus, and I'm in charge of a dorm, and they go, well, what dorm?" And I would say, Johnson Hall. And they they would turn as white as this sheet of paper. Every single person. So finally I asked the person, I said, why does everyone turn white when I say Johnson Hall? They said, Johnson Hall is Animal House. It is the craziest. It's It's the camp, it's the dorm closest to downtown, which means it's closest to the bars. In fact, there were two bars fairly close to the dorm." they might as well have named them Johnson Hall. And I said, oh, well, it's a good thing I'm coming to plant the church. And they, would, they had put together Johnson Hall and planting a church, and they, everyone would say this, good luck. <laughs> 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 so I thought, well, God loves a challenge. I had no idea. First of all, I, I wanted to ask the chancellor, why do you bring freshman students, of which I was in charge of 330 freshman students, freshmen, First time away from home, people, get the picture. I'm in charge of them, 330 kids are now yours. For two weeks, they'd have them come and register for classes. It doesn't take two weeks to do that. So what would they do with their two weeks time? And the drinking age was 18? Guess what, people? Did Mark sleep? No. We had more fire alarms. Then Carter's has liver pills. I mean, and I broke up night fights. I had uh, someone who was breaking into cars. I had uh, people that, I had someone come down. This is how I knew I was destined to be a couples counselor. Someone's pounding at my door. They're drunk out of their mind. It's 3 a.m. Me and my boyfriend had a fight. I need to talk to someone. Someone said, talk to you. Ah! So I can remember walking and just going, God, I thought I was coming to plant the church. You brought me here to kill me. I can't believe it. I didn't want to hear God was on the throne. I wanted God to be in Johnson Hall. Right? Can you relate to this? When something in your life is just not, you know, it's not matching up and you go, oh, what is going on here? And the apostle that we're going to take a look at, he he's... He's in a place again. He's been here before, but this is different. The Apostle Paul now realizes his time's at an end. He's 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 feeling the fulfillment of his ministry. And he's been imprisoned by Nero, who Nero makes Hitler look like a schoolboy. The the Fox's Book of Martyrs, when you read the things he did, he would take living Christians, and he would wrap them in a freshly killed carcass of an animal and then he'd throw them into this big pen with wild dogs so you literally get mauled by these wild dogs. He would baptize them in wax, take them out, stick them to a tree, and then set them on fire and let them burn all night. He was a seriously perverse leader and he was taking all of his wrath for the burning of Rome out on Christian people, and Paul is now in prison there. And he's awaiting the end. And you know, if you want to talk to someone about how do you endure suffering, how do you walk through hard times, the Apostle Paul is the best person. I mean, when you read about his introduction into the gospel, Uh, Ananias tells him, he's told by the Lord, tell him that he's called to enter into suffering for my name. Just look at the list of suffering that he talks about. Rarely does he bring it up, but the Corinthian church says that he's kind of a mishmash of, you know, he's not that important. Listen to this. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. From the Jews, do you think they were little love taps, people? No, they took all their anger and rage on her. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. By the way, after he was stoned, he got up and went back into the city and preached. That's someone who's rock solid. No pun intended. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. Holy mackerel! I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. Me too, Paul, River Falls, Johnson Hall. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I faced the pressure of my concern for the churches. That's a list. Anyone compare with that? You know, sometimes when you're sitting around the table and you say, oh yeah, one time I got this bad cut and they go, oh, that ain't nothing. You know, and you say, look at this one. You know, oh, that's nothing. You take off your shoe. Look at this. You know, no one's got look to at, look at this list like Paul, right? It's an amazing list. And yet through it all, Paul is learning something that he's passing on to us. And all of us need to learn this. It's very important. You see, Paul had learned to give over instead of give out. Paul had learned to give over instead of give in. In each step, he is walking out and working out eternal life. And he's becoming more and more convinced that God has him. He's saying, God is saying to him, I've got this. And so he's at this end. Nero the madman is planning his doom. He's probably got some nights where he goes, I didn't think it would end this way. Ever say that? I didn't think, I didn't think this would happen. I didn't, I didn't know it would work out like this. But as he pens this letter to his true spiritual son, he writes this, yet yeah, this is no cause for shame. Why, Paul? Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. He tells Timothy keys that we need to know. When we hit hard times, he says, I know whom I believe. I know. And not, not only do I just know him in a way that's just like, oh yeah, I know two plus two is four. I know in a way that I am convinced of what, Paul? That he is able to do what? To guard everything you've put in his hands until that day. And there's this synergistic cycle that you see in this passage where Paul is saying, as I know him, As I go through, as I'm shipwrecked at sea, as I'm going through this hard time, as I'm struggling through, there's this convincing that happens. Have you noticed in your Christian life, I I remember, you know, you, you go, you have that first honeymoon phase with Jesus. Do you remember that? Everything is, everything's new. You just think, man, walking on water is nothing. Jesus is so good. And then you bump into your first serious trial. Do you? Are you reading me? Are you getting this? And you think, oh, what's going on? And you wonder, doesn't God love me anymore? Am I lost? Did I do something really, really bad? And he's punishing me really, really a lot. And you, as you go through it, you realize, no, in this situation, he's teaching me perseverance. He's teaching me patience. You ever pray for patience? Buckle up. We're talking in staff about what does it look like for us to be a safe place, to really be a safe place. And I made the mistake of saying, hey, I, I want to be more flexible with my schedule. Guess what that means, huh? Sometimes you feel like God's just, he's just waiting. Spencer goes, oh, I think I want to be more flexible with my schedule. Do you hear that? <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden you go through that time, and as you go through that time and you work out And you you go deeper in your knowledge of him and you know parts of him and you see places where he works and things that he does. It has convincing proof. And the next time you encounter a trial, hopefully, you go, I made it last time. And there's this cycle that's going on. You know, and it keeps, I wish I could have the arrows go both ways, you know, back and forth, but our knowledge brings a convincing that he is able and so we trust him. We put it in his hands. I'll tell you one thing that my life tells me over and over and over again is, I think I get more able, and then I realize, no, I'm still not able. Only He is able. I've been walking with the Lord now for 34 years. And you you know, you, you get familiar with what the Bible says and you get familiar with certain things and you do grow in elements of Christian discipline. But if you ever try to do anything apart from him, how does it go, people? Not so good. The guy goes, well, let's do it together, son. And so what we find as we live life is that there's these gaps that we have to jump. And all of them come to us in ways you know, the seasons of life, I, I, I did not want to get old. I voted to be the first Peter Pan of biology. You know, let me, let me be forever young. Anyone else hoping that? Well, that didn't work, right? And, and part of it is you just start to realize there, there's certain things as you get older, you really get the idea that you're not in control. And you know, as much as we as Christians say, I know that, I realize that, we hate that, don't we? We just, we just don't like the feeling. And, and there's this thing that we, we know in part. So when we encounter these gaps in life, we, we only know a part of it, and we're only looking at a part. And at these moments when we're confused and we're distressed, those are moments when someone usually comes along and says, God's on the throne. And you don't argue that. But you don't care if he's on the throne. You want him here, now. And our perspective in a moment like that is a little bit like this. It's turned upside down. The Mona Lisa looks the same until you get the right perspective and you go, wow, wow. And sometimes when you're facing these gaps, we've got this perspective. Maybe we think that maybe God's not there. God doesn't care. I must be really bad. I'll be the first one you know, that, that suffered here alone and he left me. And we get stuck in the really difficult things in one place that doesn't help us. And Paul doesn't address that from the lonely jail of King Nero. This is the one place that gets stuck and doesn't move us through to our faith It's the why place, why? It's okay to ask it, it's normal to ask it. Why God, why me, why now, why that? That's normal, is it not? We all do it, God's not afraid of the why question, but the why question is not what's at stake, it's not what God is doing, it's not what he, is gonna bring us the release, is the why's not gonna do that, You see, we're in a place where we're realizing all I know is this little square and God is saying, what I want you to know is me in this moment. I want you to know me in a way where you realize that I will never leave you. I want you to know I am with you until the very end. I want you to know me in this instant. It was William Booth who started the Salvation Army and later on in his ministry, he became blind and a lot of his friends were saying, well, don't worry, God's on the throne. You know, that's not gonna help him. But in the moment, what he said is, well, I've known what Booth can do with God with his eyes. We're about to find out what Booth can do with God without his eyes. The why question wasn't gonna move him on. It was more the question of God is with me. And are you convinced that he is able? Are you sure? Now these moments where our world gets rocked, they start relatively early in our life. All of us probably went through this where we feel the very earth beneath us shifting. It's when we learn to ride a bike. Remember that? One of my children who will remain nameless lest they kill me when they were learning to ride a bike, they would go into full-fledged panic. I mean scream. I'm surprised the police didn't come. And one night, we were done with dinner, and I said, well, do you want to go practice your bike? No, Daddy, let's not do it now. Let's, let's wait until the neighbors go inside because I make such a scene. <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember? Do you remember what it was like, how it felt? You know, you're kind of pedaling, but you wanted to feel, I can remember having my dad's hand where, you know, as I, peddling, I could just kind of feel his hand right there. And then, do you remember what happened when the hands would go? You'd do something dumb, like, at least I did. I'd look back, well, that's a sure crash, you know? <laughs> but you're wobbling. But they're running along right with you, and they'll let go. And you're kind of like, are you holding? Uh, no. And you're like, oh, my gosh. But you're staying up. Keep going. And then you start to wobble, and they'd run up and they'd grab you. Do you remember? And you just go, oh, I felt like my very life was going to disappear deep down into the earth. They got you. Don't worry, I got you. They'd run and they'd let you go. They'd run and let you go. And as you're doing that, there's, there's this cycle that's happening. You're growing in your confidence, you're convinced, and you're learning to stay upright. And in more important things, you're learning how to walk with him through the shifts and the wobbles and the changes of life. And you will carry that into eternity because guess what, people? Eternity started now. What you are walking through, what you are learning, what you are embracing, what you are holding Jesus' hand through, you will carry into the next phase And it deepens you in a way where eternal life is wrought out into your soul. Because this is what Jesus says. He said, now this is eternal life that they know you. And in those moments where you feel like the the bike is wobbling, oh no, what's going to happen to me now? All of a sudden you feel the hands of the Savior. I got you. But he likes to let you wobble for a long time, does he not? Since you're wobbling, I'm going to let that faith develop in you a little bit longer. And he stretches us, doesn't he? It hurts so good. That's why the midnight hour, you're like, Lord, why did you wait until 11.59? Because I wanted to maximize your trust in me. It's not mean. It's not cruel. It's so that we experience eternal life and we know him in a new way, in a new depth, As I'm walking with people, there's a young lady who attends here, Lisa Bardall, and she's had a long battle with cancer, unbelievably long, and she has fought hard and strong. And when she went in for the last surgery, they discovered that the cancer had gotten to a place that's inoperable, that they're out of resources. And I... Don't really like this stage where I'm saying goodbye to parents and saying goodbye to friends. I don't like it because all I know is this. But I'm learning something. I'm learning that the journey along, it mounts, there's a crescendo that builds, and you're at a place where finally what happens is your body begins to unravel in a way where you realize, I don't have control. I can't make myself breathe. I can't make my heart pump. I can't make my body move in that way. I I don't have that control. There's only one who has that control, and I can trust him. Billy Graham said when he was struggling first with Parkinson's, Christianity is not an insurance policy against life's ills and troubles. They come, but they're not without purpose. They're not without a gain. They're not without eternal benefit because in those moments we learn in a deeper way, a more complete way, trust me, trust me. And I'm starting to realize that there's a a strange kind of mercy, certainly in my dad's life, as I watched his his last days, and it, it took that unraveling of my dad's body to get him in a place where he could finally say, okay, and in conversations with Betsy, she pressed in. He began to realize, and it seems so odd that he realized now. Maybe God does love me. Maybe He does. So much so that in those last days, as my dad kind of benefited, like the thief on the cross, in these last moments, that there he was. All of his kids gathered, all five of us. My mom were there at home. He's on his bed. He's breathing. He's got COPD. And I've been with some people that have passed with that. It feels like someone's standing on their throat usually, but my dad is breathing easy. And I look at my brothers and sisters and my mom, and I say, this is a strange kind of grace. And I put my hand on my dad's head, and I say, Dad, where you're gone, there's no COPD. And he went like this. (sighs) And he was gone. And in that moment, If you've ever been with someone who passes, there's like a a veil drops. There's like, I, I wanted to just go like this and peek into heaven. It feels that close. It feels that near where you just want to kind of go, what's going on up there? There's a quiet and a stillness. There's a lingering, there's a presence that's unlike anything else we experience anywhere else. And I saw in that moment that the deepest thing that we can trust is God with our lives. And our unknown future is safe in the hands of an all-knowing God. We may not know why. We may not know what is going on. One of my heroes, Dallas Willard, probably one of the best examples recently of a man who walked step for step. He was like an Enoch who walked with God and was no more. People would say when they'd sit with them, there would just be this dense presence of God. And he wound up getting a a serious stage four cancer. And uh, he was talking to his wife once, and he he said, you know, I'm not afraid because I know who's with me. And he said, in fact, I've been thinking about it. He was a very bright thinker. He said, I'm kind of curious. I, I think... I won't realize when I've passed. I think it will be such an easy movement. I think it'll be such an easy change of address. And all of a sudden I'll go, oh, I'm not on earth anymore. And I'd never thought about that. But would Jesus want us to pass in a way where we're rumbling down like some crazy waterslide, terrified? Or is it the shift? A gentle change of address where you go, oh. And so when his end was near, he called for his four closest friend and his wife to come into the room. And he was laying on his left side and he was talking to them. And he was kind of saying last words. And then all of a sudden he shifted and they could see a look come over his face. And he said to his friends, excuse me. And he rolled over on his other side And the last words they heard him saying to his Savior was, thank you, and he was gone. Dallas had learned that not only is God on the throne, but he is here with me in this moment. And what he's asking me to do is to trust him. One more thought. The question is, what do we do with the saying like, God is on the throne? It's not so much about when we're going through it, it's like when we're watching someone go through it. I want you to think for a moment about Paul. I want you to think for a moment about the hardship he suffered. You saw the list. I want you to think about the loneliness he experienced. And then I want you to think about this guy, Timothy, who he's writing. He calls him his true spiritual son. Biblicists say that he'd started working with Paul when he was about 14 years old. Not altogether sure how old he is in this moment, but here's the thing, he's with him. Timothy was the kind of young man that would risk going to prison to sit with his friend Paul, which meant risking his own neck because he was working for the same boss Paul was. And sometimes I think when we're in these moments where we realize the whole world's shaking, we realize that it's so far out of our control. That person can't do anything. I can't do anything. What do you do? You do what Timothy did. You sit with them. Oh, what Job's friends could have done had they done this. And what's scary to me is when you read what they said, it sounds good. Doesn't it? But when the final exam hit, it wasn't so good, was it? (laughs) And they had missed it. But what if they would have done what they did in the first week with Job, just sat with them, with them? You and I carry the incarnate presence of God. And when you have a friend who is broken down where their life has been shattered, where things that they could not imagine happen, the single best thing that you and I can do is come up next to them, sit down close to them, and be there. Just be there. And when we do that, we experience a part where wherever two or three are gathered in my name, where's Jesus? He's among them. It's not always what we say, it's where we sit. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's deep stuff. I don't really like talking about this, yet we need to. The reality hits. Crying out loud, I look in the mirror and I feel like, "Woo, where did time go? And it makes me realize that I don't have brakes, I don't have a steering wheel. I can't put it in park. I'm not in control. Thank God you are. Lord, in our lives, let us become convinced you are able. And in the lives of our family and friends, let us also be a convincing proof as we sit with them. Be with us, Lord, as we worship. Some of us are carrying bad news hard news. Some of us are thinking of loved ones. Some of us are going through something ourselves right now. And in this moment, in this hour, would you come with your spirit in a convincing way and do good. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.